Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Hello, everybody. I'm Lou Dobbs. Welcome to The Great America Show. Desperation and disinformation pouring out of the D.C. swamp, and the Marxist Dems and deep staters are slithering hither and yon, seeking refuge as they scramble to fog over their misjudgments and cover up their evil doing, trying to destroy Trump and this great republic. Make no mistake, the Marxist Dems and deep state mean to destroy our system of government, our way of life. And Uncle Joe is a puppet, but dangerous still. He's lied. The Mar-a-Lago search warrant and affidavit make it clear he ordered the FBI raid on his chief political opponent, the former president of the United States and the present leader of the Republican Party. And his attorney general lied as well, said he wasn't involved. Up to his eyeballs, he was involved and remained so. And the warrant itself on Mar-a-Lago is a mess, permitting a full-on, without-boundary fishing expedition that only a fool or a crooked judge would issue, or maybe just a Clinton supporter. And yes, Judge Bruce Reinhardt fits that bill in its entirety. So what to do now that the FBI admits they took Trump's medical records, documents that were held under executive privilege as well as attorney-client privilege? The FBI didn't care in the least. And they took financial documents as well while they searched 16-year-old Barron's room and Melania's closet. The FBI's outrageous and illegal investigation of Donald Trump should never have happened. Really, going after a former president over a bunch of paperwork and a disagreement with some librarians, but attack dog librarians, and no one's falling for the FBI and DOJ's disinformation and dirty, rotten lies anymore. Here's where things stand after six years of the Marxist Dems and deep states non-stop political persecution of President Donald Trump. We know President Biden and members of his family are corrupt, and they're protected by the Secret Service, the FBI, the Department of Justice, by the corporate media, big tech, and social media. We know that Attorney General William Barr changed history. Barr knew Biden was lying in the second and final presidential debate of 2020 lying about his son's laptop and its contents, his lies about not knowing about Hunter's business with foreign countries, and the lies of 51 intelligence veterans, including five former CIA directors and the highest-ranking law enforcement officer in the nation, William Barr, wouldn't say a word to the American people, not a word of warning. While his FBI agents were out persuading executives of newspapers and networks, big tech and social media, all the while peddling nonsense about Russian disinformation they knew to be false. And they continue to persecute Trump to this very moment. Trump, who's been proved right over all of those six years, no wrongdoing, no lying, not a speeding ticket, because had there been you know every one of those craven, corrupt institutions and agents would have torn him to pieces. Why is it they ignore the corrupt Bidens? They know, just like we do now, Joe Biden should be in a jail cell instead of the Oval Office. Biden is corrupt and all the world now knows as well. And so are the agencies and departments who should have been prosecuting him instead of trying to frame President Trump. And all the world knows as well the evil done by the FBI, the DOJ, intelligence agencies and courts, and the Marxist Dems in Congress, and their so-called J6 committee that's preyed on the hundreds of Americans who have been, and many of whom remain, political prisoners of the Marxist left. I say free them all. Free all of them right now every single one of the January 6th defendants. And if prosecute you must, 
then prosecute the police lieutenant who shot and killed an innocent, unarmed woman and prosecute the federal agents and provocateurs who instigated chaos and calamity on Capitol Hill that day. Now is the time to drain the swamp, put corrupt government and officials on trial, and hold the Marxist Dems and the deep state to account. Nothing less will end the evil we've witnessed over the past six years. Nothing less will save America. Our guest today is Jeffrey Clark. He's been subpoenaed by the January 6th committee. Jeffrey Clark is a distinguished attorney, a former high-ranking official in the Department of Justice, a former partner of the prestigious law firm Kirkland and & Ellis. And Jeffrey, delighted to have you with us here on The Great America Show. Let's begin with what I know must be an ordeal, being in the sights of the Bolshevik J6 committee. When did you learn they were interested in you? Well, it's a, a story that begins a little bit before that. Uh, the first thing that happened was that I got a strange outreach around Memorial Day of last year from a staffer for Senator Durbin asking me to come in and meet, but uh, they did not have uh, subpoena power, and so I declined. Um, then the House Oversight Committee contacted me to start talking about events related to the election, and uh, we were discussing things with them. When I say we, I mean me and my uh, attorneys. And uh, then we got a you know abrupt message saying, uh, we have been instructed basically to turn over uh, you know, any possible interview with you to the January 6th committee. So that was the first time that I heard about that. That would have been sometime uh, probably either super late summer or early fall of 2021. That soon, that early, yes. Uh, and 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 then what happened? Uh, and then uh, you know the the committee was asking uh, to come in, and you know we took the position that uh, there were privileges that attached, and so we should not do that. And then they issued a subpoena, and uh, then that subpoena compelled me to show up on November fifth, twenty twenty one. So I did, and. We presented a lengthy letter explaining why three uh, privileges in particular attached. One was executive privilege. There's a letter from President Trump to me and to others, some others at the Justice Department, that says that uh, the matters the committee was interested in talking to me, us about, were uh, covered by executive privilege. Then I have a letter from the Justice Department that says, well, President Biden has overruled President Trump's uh, invocation of privilege. But we instruct you that you cannot talk about anything that is law enforcement privileged, which is a strange thing, right? Uh, you know, the the executive privilege descends from the separation of powers in the Constitution, whereas the law enforcement privilege is more of a creature of common law. And so it's backwards to maintain, uh, ex, you know, uh, law enforcement privilege, but waive executive privilege. The one that should be defended to the hilt is executive privilege. And then the third privilege was uh, attorney-client privilege. The committee, you know, stepped all over itself, rejected uh, all of those assertions of privilege in kind of record time. Indeed, you know, they were uh, doing strange timing where they were saying, you know, be back here at four o'clock for your deposition to continue because your privileges have been overruled by Chair Thompson. And the message was received, you know, at some distance after four o'clock. So as we pointed out to them, we don't have a time machine. And on and on it went in various letter exchanges about finer points of privilege. And then uh, finally, uh, it, you know, it became clear to us from external signs uh, that they were probably going to try to do the same thing to me that they had done to Steve Bannon and Peter Navarro and Dan Scavino and refer us for contempt, refer me for contempt over to the Justice Department. So, uh, you know, I invoked my Fifth Amendment uh, privilege and uh, they went ahead with a business meeting, even though we had sent them a letter about that uh, and it really should have halted the proceedings. But they had a primetime hearing, which they call a business meeting. And uh, Benny Thompson said, you know, we're, we're all going to have a vote. We're all going to hold that Mr. Clark uh, should be referred, you know, uh, for a floor vote on whether we should send him over to the Justice Department for having committed criminal uh, contempt. 
Uh, but he has just invoked the Fifth Amendment, and that's uh, a quote-unquote serious matter. And so we will uh, order him to come back for a second deposition because he can't just uh, invoke the Fifth by letter. He has to do it on a question-by-question basis. And, uh, you know, we thought we would negotiate with them about the timing for that. And they said, no, it has to be this coming Saturday. So the business meeting was on a Wednesday night on prime time, and then we were ordered to come in that Saturday. Um, you know, as as the good Lord may have ordained, uh, I got uh, COVID, and then that deposition wound up being uh, postponed until February 2nd. So I showed up dutifully on February 2nd and invoked uh, all of the applicable privileges as questions were asked. Um, there was one exchange I had where uh, Representative Schiff, he'd shown up in person for the November uh, session, the only member of the committee to do so. Uh, but uh, in February, he was appearing by WebEx, and uh, he he tried to argue that I couldn't invoke uh, multiple privileges. I could only invoke uh, the fifth because they needed a clean record. And I, uh, you know, obviously, Lou, as you know, since I'd been a high-ranking official at the Justice Department, you know, 1,400 lawyers had reported to me. I'd been a partner of a major law firm. I explained why. Adam Schiff was incorrect in his argumentation under the law, and he stopped. And then, uh, you know, eventually, after about 90 minutes of taking uh, the privileges, uh, I left. Uh, and um, since then, I've heard nothing from the committee, and no floor vote was ever scheduled for me. There was a Politico story at one point saying that uh, I had been referred to the Justice Department for criminal contempt, but I got a retraction of that because that was untrue. Extraordinary. And, and uh, Adam Schiff is not a quick learner. Uh, he is now a certified and demonstrated and proved uh, liar uh, as a result of the, uh, the first contempt, excuse me, impeachment of the president. Uh, he's put himself on record and now he's a, a man who doesn't understand the law, which uh, you apparently did educate him, uh, you know, and, and good for you. We're watching unbridled arrogance here uh, in the abuse of power by the Marxist Dems, as I call the leaders of the Democrat Party. Uh, this is un unprecedented. I don't think I, I've seen a number of of authors suggest and writers, journalists suggest this is uh, you know, Mark McCarthyism from the left. But I really think this is well beyond anything McCarthy contemplated. This is a full-on assault uh, on uh, on the constitutional republic. Your thoughts? I agree with that, uh, Lou. And you know, as you know, because we just briefly talked about it before we started, uh, we're both uh, alums of Harvard. And for me, as an undergrad, I was a double major in economics and Russian Soviet history. As I sat, you know, in classes in the mid 1980s with uh, Richard Pipes, who was, you know, Harvard's foremost. Uh, historian on those topics, uh, and he was describing the radicalization of the students, the short-lived uh, government that uh, was brought down by the Bolshevik Revolution. Um, you know, I thought never here. You know, I'd never, I'd never see anything like that. It was the optimistic '80s. Economic growth was high. People were very happy, uh, and I thought, you know, folks could never be duped. But I, I would later take, you know, more recently tours of college campuses and see, you know, lots of radicalism on the dorm room doors and Bernie posters. And I even caused me to offer to have a debate on campus at, at some point about why Marxism is not the way. And so like you, I actually do see the strands of that uh, being played, the strains of that being played. And it's very alarming. It is. It's. It's on a given day. It is disconcerting. It's uh, one loses easily uh, uh, balance and perspective on all of this, because it seems almost every day there is a new outrage. There is a new effort on the part of the of the Marxist left in this country to try to roll back individual rights, the Bill of Rights, uh, the Constitution, in some fashion to attack education, uh, the very idea of education for all citizens, public schools, what's our public schools, once the pride of the nation and the, the envy of the world, uh, and of course, also God. Uh, the assaults are, are, are just incessant. 
your thoughts, if you will, where you stand right now as we watch the federal government weaponized in almost every department and agency uh, turn on the American people, whom they obviously have declared as the enemy. Yes, Lou. So I agree with that. Uh, it's it's uh, you know incredibly alarming. I think that what happened in terms of the raid on Mar-a-Lago is an assault not just on uh, Donald Trump personally, whom obviously they've been trying to nail to the wall uh, since you know 2015, maybe, uh, but certainly 2016 forward. Um, it's an assault on the presidency itself. And, uh, you know, there it's just one right being run over roughshod after another. You know, I think the January 6th committee makes a mockery of due process, makes a mockery of Congress's historical rules that ensure uh, and observe party balance. Um, and, you know, for the Mar-a-Lago raid, one of the big points that I've been making is that uh, the warrant that was issued is a general warrant and our framers uh, thought that that the idea of the English crown having these general warrants where the uh, officers could just show up and start searching your house without telling you why was such an affront to natural liberty that, you know, they wrote the Fourth Amendment. They, you know, had included in that a particularity requirement uh, and, you know, a probable cause. Obviously, President Trump has still not seen the full probable cause because the affidavit is so heavily redacted. And then in terms of the idea that this is a general warrant, it, it certainly is. It asks for all – it, it authorizes search for all presidential records for the entire duration of Trump's term in office. And it also had a kind of uh, penumbra attached to it of you can grab things that are adjacent to the things you're authorized to grab. Um, and that's the theory apparently on which they took his uh, passports, although they've now – Return those. So it's really breathtaking, taking the the breadth of it, you know, and how many liberties of uh, the uh, the Bill of Rights can be violated at once. There, it's almost like there's a checklist. It's it's the country right now is confused. They're 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 pained. They're outraged and disgusted by their federal government and and, and the activities go on. There right. is no, and I have to say, I would have expected the American Bar Association at some point say, after six years of political persecution of Donald Trump, uh, a two impeachments, a special counsel, three years of federal investigation, uh, that, and coming up with the only wrongdoing being that of uh, the FBI, the Department of Justice, the DNC, the Hillary Clinton campaign, and uh, the CIA. All of those are are evildoers, wrongdoers, and they have violated laws and regulations uh, with impunity. And Donald Trump has been found uh, not to have done any wrongdoing. Whether he did or not, they didn't find it. And at some point, you have to say, isn't there a presumption of innocence anywhere left in this uh, rancid, corrupt federal government of ours? So, Lou, you mentioned the ABA, uh, the American Bar Association, you know, at the turn of uh, the last century into the 20th century, the uh, American Bar Association was a, a, you know, quite conservative uh, organization. But it has been, like the universities, like many arms of the government, taken over by the left. Um, I served uh, on the governing council of uh, the administrative law section of the bar, and, you know, that... uh, had a, you know, kind of strong statist direction to it for the most part. But um, I didn't really see anything that was significantly radical there. But other parts of the ABA have for many years and long before these, you know, fights that that we've recently been having that relate to uh, President Trump, they were woke and they were weaponized. You know, the resolutions that would come out of that, the, the largest body, you know, kind of the the Congress, as, as it were, of the ABA were truly remarkable. It caused the Federalist Society to create an ABA watch project because the things on the social front, on the culture war front, were so uh, outrageous. So, you know, I think you would wait in vain, Lou, for some kind of protest from the, the ABA because it has been an organization that's essentially been uh, uh, taken over by the left for, for quite some time. But I would have expected law professors uh, deans of uh, prominent law schools, uh, like those you attended, uh, like uh, all that uh, so many of our Supreme Court justices attended, 
to have stood up and said, you know, this is not right. This is a constitutional republic. The, the, the Constitution is dominant, preeminent, and precious. And it's about time we regarded it as such instead of a, as a, a doormat. Uh, but we have heard nothing from the legal profession itself, at least in the academics, uh, in law schools across the country. We are hearing nothing from business leaders. For that matter, nothing from the Republican Party leadership to say enough is enough. Mm-hmm. Where so, is corporate America? Where is are the people who are achievers, uh, highly uh, highly successful people, saying we have to give preeminence to our Constitution and our way of life, uh, the rule of law? So you covered a fair amount of territory there, Lou. But I think you're I you're kind of marching through a, a you know a list of. Uh, organizations and parts of uh, the mediating institutions of our society that have been captured. So let me start with the the law firm. I mean, the, uh, sorry, law school one, right? There are some, right? There's Professor Dershowitz, who I think, you know, is, uh, is on the left, but who has principles and has just released a book about that topic. And there's Jonathan Turley, who, you know, I also think is uh, generally speaking on the left, but but has principles, but there are so many law professors who've really gone off the deep end. Like you know, uh, you know, as as uh, wonderful as his constitutional law treatise was, although it's you know uh, uh, dated at least in the version I have. Like Lawrence Tribe really seems to just be almost like an MSNBC uh, in a mind meld with them at this point. So uh, he, here's an example I would give you from an earlier controversy about uh, law professors and how result oriented they could be. I would put to you that if at the end of uh, the um, uh, first Bush administration, you had polled law professors and you had asked them, if there is a future president who commits perjury in front of a federal judge in particular, but you know it could just be by sworn testimony that's presented to the judge, but let's make it more like the actual circumstance with Clinton. You know, if, if, you, uh, if that uh, you know, hypothetical president uh, were to uh, testify to something that was uh, a lie in front of the judge um, and ultimately get sanctioned, would that be an impeachable offense? Yes or no? And I would submit to you that 95% of the law review, law, law professors, I'm sorry, uh, who were responding to that survey would have said, absolutely. But now you fast forward into the Clinton administration and you're talking about, you know, lying about Paula Jones and you're talking about uh, you know, the whole uh, set of issues about lying about Monica Lewinsky. And then magically, uh, a majority of the law professors, because they're on the left and don't want to see President Clinton impeached, say, no, that's not a high crime or misdemeanor. And it's just one of those things which I think is an indicator of how uh, result-oriented the academy has become. And and so it is. And as we go forward, the legal profession itself, there aren't uh, there aren't many lawyers, and I know by the way of uh, a number of examples of this, from what I've been told by uh, friends, sources, and others, that uh, the legal profession right now is scared to death to have anything to do with Donald Trump, and that it's one of the impediments that he has in hiring first class uh, legal talent. Uh, major firms will not only not represent him. Uh, and many of those containing the best talent, uh, arguably, in, in, in the country, they will not only represent them, but they will also not tolerate any of their attorneys in any way being connected to him uh, and shun them and expunge them. Yes. And and Lou, I'll, I'll give you a little story to encapsulate that and how much things have gotten worse since this time period. So in, in 2000, I was... Uh, an associate, uh, I think, of, you know, fourth going on fifth year associate uh, at a, you know, big law firm. And, uh, you know, an email went out from one of the partners in Chicago who was closely tied to Democrat politics, especially with, uh, you know, uh, the Daly family. And he said, uh, you know, there's an election controversy brewing in Florida. Uh, and uh, I'm going to assemble a team of lawyers who would like to take a brief leave of absence with me to go down and uh, you know, fight for uh, Al Gore. And, uh, you know, then, of course, people could respond to him. Within minutes, there was, uh, you know, an email, competing email from 
uh, one of my partners who became the head of Bush 43's uh, Domestic Policy Council, uh, saying, well, I'm going to assemble a team for uh, for Republicans and we're going to go down to Florida on the same terms. Right. And, you know, I, I signed up for that effort. I, I uh, worked on some briefs in the Florida Supreme Court. I'd become familiar with that uh, entity because of a big appeal I'd had for uh, for DuPont uh, that went to the Florida Supreme Court. Um, and so, you know, that that's an era that I have a lot more fondness for as I look back. Because it shows, you know, the the profession in action, right? It's ready and and willing to sort of provide help to either side. It's not, you know, as a firm sort of locked in ideologically to one side or another. Right. And I think it's very important uh, and and very depressing uh, to see how law firms have changed. The major law firms, what's called big law these days, right. um, that you know they would uh, not provide President Trump representation because. You know, these kinds of issues of whether President Biden can uh, waive the executive privilege of, of a prior president. I mean, just think what it ha- would have happened if President Trump had come into office in 2017 and said, oh, uh, by the way, I'm uh, waiving all of the executive privilege uh, over Fast and Furious. And I'm going to look into exactly what documents show what uh, Eric Holder as attorney general told, uh, you know, President Obama. I mean, there would have been outrage howls from here across, you know, the entire universe. But if it happens to Trump, well, somehow, you know, it's it's uh, in the category of, um, you know, it, it's Trump. Anything is permissible. Anything is permissible. And uh, they, they have proved it day in and day out over the course of six years. From July of 2016, as uh, the foundation of what was to become Crossfire Hurricane uh, began, uh, and the Russian hoax, the Russian collusion hoax uh, was perpetrated uh, direct from the DNC and the Hillary Clinton campaign. Uh, and then uh, with the, the the complicity of the FBI and the Department of Justice, uh, the hunt was on uh, for uh, Donald Trump, uh, his presidency uh, and uh, the man himself. It has been outrageous. There's been protests, not a one from the establishment in any form that I'm aware of. And here we are, the man still being hounded, harangued, and politically persecuted. He's been stripped of attorney-client privilege. He's been stripped of executive privilege to go to your, uh, if you will, your trinity. Uh, And the Fourth Amendment doesn't apply to him at all. We're looking at pictures that obviously uh, originate with the FBI of classified documents on the carpet, which were strewn there, uh, the president uh, says quite clearly and straightforwardly, by the agents who sought to seize those documents uh, and to search his his offices and beyond, uh, his wife's closet, for crying out loud, uh, the idea of a general warrant. Uh, obviously, there wasn't any specificity in this one, and now we're learning that there's a very strong signal from the Justice Department, by the way, that I want to ask you about. And that is, apparently, he moved some some, some unnamed, uh, highly classified documents. Uh, but they don't use the word nuclear, and they have no other descriptions for it. But they moved it, giving the distinct impression, at least to me by inference, that they knew what they wanted. They were afraid to say it and still are today. And they're looking for those very specific documents that they now allege he moved, he the president, he, the former president, uh, Donald Trump. And he is now uh, being, uh, it's insinuated, uh, he's about to be accused of obstruction of justice of a probe that didn't exist for documents they didn't recognize or identify in a general warrant. I hate. I apologize for the length of that construction, but there it is. No, I I, I get it, Lou. I, I, let me make two observations. One, I read the filing from uh, DOJ uh, that just came in um, that uh, apparently President Trump's lawyers are going to respond to tonight. So I'll be interested to read that when it comes out. But uh, they they really stress over and over again this you know term that uh, there are documents that were marked as classified. Um, and then they sometimes lapse or interchangeably lapse into classified documents. And I think that's 
kind of a sleight of hand because you know the the uh, position that the president has taken um, in terms of his public pronouncements on this is that he declassified the documents and then other people you know with uh, knowledge around his process on that before he left office like Kash Patel, uh, my colleague here at the Center for Renewing America, you know, has indicated that uh, yes, he he declassified these materials. So you know, the, the I've seen some speculation on the on the web of well, oh, they laid a trap because they subpoenaed documents that were marked as classified, and then there was a certification that uh, you know all of the documents called for in the subpoena had been turned over, uh, so that they're you know they're trying to 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 say that well. Even if there was a document that had uh, classified markings on it, if it were declassified, it should be turned over. Anticipating the weakness in that argument, they lay a lot of stress on the fact of how uh, the documents that were turned over to the archives after a dispute arose under the Presidential Records Act, how they were put together. And, And literally, Lou, I'm not making this up. They say that the documents that were turned over were placed into a single Redweld folder that was sort of, you know, like double sealed with with tape or with some other kind of mechanism. So they say, ah, well, that's a a consciousness that the documents were classified because they were handed over in that fashion. I mean, you know, Lou, I've taken things to the post office or to FedEx uh, or I've had things, you know, uh, that were not uh, super confidential, just a collection maybe of public documents messengered over to other law firms in D.C. or to other cities, right? And, of course, you seal things up. It doesn't mean that you think that there's, there is national security information or classified information in there. I, I, that point really kind of, you know, uh, made me almost laugh out loud. Um, the, the, uh, the thing I'll say generally is this, right? You know, you, you've heard for years uh, that – you know, there are uh, baseline crimes, right? And then they're, if they can't get you on a baseline crime, if you become a target, they're going to look for whether they can get you on a process crime. So the baseline crime might be, I don't know, government official takes a bribe. The, uh, the, the process crime would be, all right, when you were interviewed by the FBI, did you lie about that, right? So then it becomes uh, a perjury issue. We're now down at the tertiary level of a potential document offense, Right. And even that appears weak based on what I've seen so far. So now we're down into the quaternary, right? We're down into the level of, is there a process crime about the document offense? Um, so it's just, it gets increasingly far afield from anything that really should be uh, and, even and high petty. priority in terms of enforcement resources as to a former president of the United States. Right. And petty, beyond petty and insignificant. Because at the end of the day, the president does have the recognized right to make a decision on classification or declassification, and certainly with documents that are in his possession. Who is to have a constitutional authority beyond that of the president of the United States? I can't. Right. I, I think it's as the Supreme Court recognized in this case involving the Department of Navy uh, uh, versus Egan, um, the president has commander-in-chief power, which is the source, really, of an independent font of authority to declassify documents. Um, And, you know, there's also, right, that the statute that's most applicable uh, and on all fours that's on the field is the Presidential Records Act, which is a civil enactment. So then you have to start asking yourself, well, why are other statutes like the Espionage Act and obstruction of justice, et cetera, being brought in? They're really trying to create a statute that does not exist in the annals of the United States Code, Lou. They're trying to create a, uh, uh, you know, an evil uh, amalgam uh, or Frankenstein monster out of multiple statutes that they're kind of wiring in artificially to the Presidential Records Act. And that's just not the way it works. Um, you know, as, as some uh, good legal observers in the Wall Street Journal uh, have noted, you know, the, there's a longstanding legal principle of the specific controls the general. And the specific statute here is the Presidential Records Act. And if the archives wants a fight with the president about what are his personal records, what records have been declassified or not declassified, and turning them over, 
you know, it, that can be pursued uh, civilly. And, and usually, if you're talking about dealing with a former president of the United States via a process of negotiation, and indeed, as you know, they visited Mar-a-Lago for that purpose in the past, um, you know, it's not the kind of thing that, that it seems like Congress has remotely authorized uh, for this, you know, kind of a jury-rigged, multi-statute criminal approach that they've settled on. And, and again... The FBI and DOJ are so desperate in this that there must be something here at bedrock that really is scaring the hell out of Merrick Garland, the attorney general. Otherwise, this would not be playing out as it is. And to that degree, I want to ask you, we received word today that Merrick Garland has decided that, in point of fact, eh, the Department of Justice and FBI may not talk to Congress without his specific authority. Uh, in other words, all of those whistleblowers, we believe to be 20-something of them that have talked to Congressman Jim Jordan, uh, Senator Ron Johnson, Senator Chuck Grassley, uh, and has resulted at least in the short term in the dismissal of at least one FBI agent who sat on the the uh, Hunter Biden laptop and uh, and, and dissuaded others from uh, uh, investigating, uh, and worse, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, this is beyond both belief and contempt, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Your thoughts? So, you know, there is a historic uh, policy about, you know, uh, trying to, to have kind of uh, contacts discipline, as it were, with, with Congress. But what I found... Uh, strange about it was the timing, right? That after all these whistleblowers emerge and Senator Grassley is sending letters to the inspector general uh, about, uh, you know, folks like this Timothy uh, Tebow, um, you know, uh, this FBI, uh, uh, you know, high management official oddly has the same name in terms of the pronunciation, not in terms of the spelling as the uh, football player. Uh, but, um, you know, the, the, uh, that it, that this memo comes out right on the heels of that. It seems, uh, intended to send a certain signal, but it does at the end of it, Lou, have provisos about the whistleblowing statutes and, and say that those should be, uh, you know, the, those still apply. And of course, you know, no guidance document issued by the Attorney General, which isn't even a regulation, um, you know, it's just advisory essentially can uh it can be you know for internal management purposes but it, it can't override a statute so the the memo has to and does recognize that the whistleblower statutes apply i i think it's designed to send a message at a kind of uh uh below the waterline level as it were i think below the waterline might be also described as uh, there will be an effort to uh, torpedo anyone's career who dares uh, to be a whistleblower, irrespective of recognizing uh, those safeguards for uh, for agents, employees, staff of the Department of Justice and FBI, who have something to say about, as they have been doing, obviously, about the integrity of uh, the department and the and the agency. Uh, do you not agree? Well, I think you know, certainly if you were someone who had uh, whistleblower level information, you you would uh, rightly worry about that. Because while the statutes are supposed to protect you against adverse employment uh, decisions, right, uh, there's still, you know, so much discretion in the process of how people get promoted, how they get bonuses and the like, their reputations in dealing with their coworkers. And so, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a uh, it's a hard thing for someone who has evidence that either the FBI or the department are being politicized in an improper way to come forward, um, you know, in, in that kind of climate, because, you know, they realize that even though they have uh, some legal protections and even though they have, you know, the whistleblower uh, defender of whistleblower, def whistleblower defenders and Senator Grassley, you know, still on net, it may not turn out well for them. So there, you, you have to be courageous if you're going to do something like that. Uh, absolutely. And there is no, at least as far as I can see, Without a Republican and significant Republican victory in November, there is no significant political force that would be countervailing to the awesome abuse of power that's been already demonstrated in a matter of, of history on the part of this administration. Uh, the FBI is a tool, uh, is nothing more than a tool, in my judgment, uh, of the 
of the Democrat, the Marxist Democrat Party. Uh, it's going to be a very tough go here, uh, as far as I'm concerned, because there has to be some refuge for these whistleblowers, and it won't be found in this uh, corrupt, outright corrupt, uh, FBI and Department of Justice. May I turn to something here in that regard? I'd like to get a sense, I'd like you to share your sense with this audience of what the DOJ has become, the FBI, and then I want to talk about Attorney General Barr uh, after you, uh, after your considerations of of that question. So, uh, Lou, you know, I spent a total of uh, maybe close to, to seven years uh, of my career at the Justice Department. Um, you know, I'd either spent it at uh, the law firm of Kirkland and Ellis in Washington, D.C., uh, or at uh, the Justice Department, really, until the end of the Trump administration, um, just moving back and forth from, you know, the Bush 43 administration when I started uh, to, uh, you know, two plus years in the in the Trump administration. And there are a lot, you know, I know this has a, a become uh, you know, trite sometimes to say there are a lot of very good uh, people who work there. I mean, overwhelmingly, I want there to be. If you're I a, really want there to be. Yes. And it, overwhelmingly, you can certainly sense uh, on the other side of the equation that, you know, the vast majority of career officials are, uh, you know, Democrats. They vote Democrat. They think Democrat. You present uh, legal theories to them that are essentially drawn from you know, the jurisprudence of Justice Scalia or Justice Thomas, Justice Alito, et cetera. I won't list them all out, but, you know, they, they just don't see those kinds of points as legally intuitive and, you know, they resist them. Um, but, you know, the, most of them will do that in good faith. And when you've made a decision, if you're their superior to go in a different direction, um, you know, they will uh, carry that out. Um, I wish there was, a, you know, more, uh, uh, alacrity and uh, enthusiasm sometimes about how they carried it out. But, um, you know, generally speaking, they will carry it out. That being said, you know, I've I've experienced, uh, you know, the seven litigating divisions inside the Justice Department um, in, in different cases, and they each have their own kind of culture. The two that are most problematic, one I headed uh, and, and was a very senior official in, in the Bush 43 administration as well, which is the Environment Division, the other, uh, I think, especially problematic part of the Justice Department uh, is uh, the Civil Rights Division, because basically they hire for and they attract people who want to pursue what those missions are perceived as. So if you want to make arguments about the logical stopping points of environmental law, because Congress is always balancing, well, what kind of economic damage is this going to do to the national economy? Um, you know, the folks who've been hired really are just, you know, their their initial inclination is pedal to the metal. I want to enforce the environmental laws to the maximum extent possible and kind of potentially get past those stopping points if I can, even more so in the civil rights division. So, you know, you have people who are essentially woke, uh, you know, and in many cases, social justice warriors who are embedded in that division. And they're, uh, they're very zealous. And, um, you know, sometimes they even will... Uh, you know, uh, uh, do things that are improper. And, and uh, there's one case I'm thinking of, a guy who's running an election outfit at this point on the left who used to be in the Civil Rights Division of the Justice Department in, in Bush 43. And he didn't uh, agree with a particular enforcement case that was brought up. And so he started calling up the other side uh, to help them with how they could proceed. So he's he's wearing a government hat, but he's actually proceeding as if he's working for the private sector. So that my impression of the Justice Department is lots of professionalism overall, but you know, if you could poll every uh, lawyer there and, and other significant policymaker, you'd find they're mostly Democrats, um, which is one reason why President Trump proposed this uh, civil service reform of Schedule F, uh, that if there are officials who are wielding significant policymaking power, they could be removed, whereas at the moment they have all of these elaborate civil service protections. It could take years uh, to uh, to get people in who will actually uh, follow, uh, you know, lawful orders and, and direction and legal policy change direction. Um, you know, right but there are stop. some people who are particularly difficult to work with, and they view sort of the result that they want to get to as what they're going to try to get to or defend with their teeth even if there's different political leadership at the department. 
Yeah, I, I have to say that I have I have not always discrim- distinguished uh, between the top leadership of the Department of Justice and FBI and the rank and file, because until Chuck Grassley made it known that these whistleblowers had stepped forward, there had not been a single person, single employee of DOJ or the FBI step forward to say, my God, these people are trampling the rights of hundreds, if not thousands of people every day. And finally, we've had a a couple of dozen show up to say it's wrong. It's there is absolute political corruption in our leadership and it has to be stopped. But only after six years of political persecution of a president, baseless charges, baseless investigations, baseless, false, fake news, if you will, uh, the Russian hoax, uh, the impeachments, the list goes on. And no wonder so many people in this country uh, despair of of justice. Uh, they know that if they're Republican or independent, uh, if they're conservative, you know, they might as well uh, just put a, a badge on themselves as a, a second or third class citizen because this Justice Department won't recognize their rights and will indeed be intent on trampling them. Uh, do Am I too far afield, do you think? You know, where are the honorable uh, agents who would resign rather than, you know, carry out these kinds of uh, searches and intimidation tactics? Right. And I actually think you you don't want them to uh, resign because, you know, that just feeds the problem, right? Then they could be replaced. Yeah. By the Uh, way, let me be very clear. I'm not talking about resigning. I'm not one of those guys that uh, believes in fall on your sword. Uh, I believe on taking down the wrongdoers and to make certain that justice is is in point of fact uh, upheld rather than trampled. Uh, Agreed, and that, that's what I was going to say is the punchline, which is no, we want them uh, if they have the sufficient courage to be whistleblowers, and right. and it's encouraging that that's you know been happening with uh, Senator Grassley and then uh, some in the House as well, um, and uh, you know if if there are folks who you know, make the personal calculus of they they don't think they can do that to themselves and their family, then I think, you know, we want them to to hunker down and wait, hopefully, until, you know, the Democrat process, Democratic process works. I mean, the Democrat Party talks constantly about efforts, and apparently we're going to hear something about this uh, tomorrow from President Biden in my hometown of Philadelphia, uh, no less, um, you know, that, that there's a war on democracy, et cetera. But to my mind, the war on democracy runs in the opposite direction. It, it's, you know, their party that wants to resist the wave that looks like it's coming in November. It's it's their party that did not want to uh, to to work for President Trump the way, you know, members of a, of a good apolitical civil service bureaucracy should. I'll, I'll tell you a quick story about a colleague in another uh, agency, um, you know, that, that uh, she was uh, called out to a social event by someone who was a career official working for them. Person showed up, uh, took them to a very inappropriate, uh, the Trump appointee to a very inappropriate place, especially as a mother of young children, uh, and then wore a shirt that proudly said uh, resistance. So the message was being sent in multiple ways of, you know, we don't want you here. And basically, you know, I'm going to do everything possible to kind of undermine uh, your management because we think that President Trump is evil. And of course, as you know, Lou, because of the Russia hoax, many of them thought that President Trump, you know, wrongfully thought it, you know, was a, you know, some kind of Russian asset, uh, you know, based on this totally cooked up uh, uh, steel dossier that is really just, you know, was a complete piece of trash from the start. Hey, let me ask you this, because that's an inter- that's a, that's a fascinating story. Uh, and, it, and, and it makes your blood boil. Uh, and you would kind of like to meet the fella who uh, did that uh, to discuss things. But is is there an absence of understanding about the American way in the Justice Department? The simple I, thing? I think people are they, innocent uh, until proved guilty. How could they believe nonsense on its face? This is the most uh, 
the most outrageous and I think unbelievable story in the world. When you started talking, you know, when we started talking about Alpha Bank and all of the nonsense, I don't think anyone with any common sense whatsoever or would have said, oh, my God, we've got a Russian asset in the White House. I mean, this is it's, this is delirium. Right. Uh, and right. you're saying that the, the Justice Department attorneys and investigators and the people who are working there for the for the good of the country, presumably to begin with, at least. Fall for that kind of nonsense. Well, Lou, I, I think, you know, you, you have to go back earlier upstream, right, in how uh, folks are formed. So at this point in the mainstream media, right, or and, and in so-called elite opinion, like the uh, New York Times and the Washington Post, uh, et cetera, right, there's there's really a, a monopoly, uh, monopoly, and they push these uh, narratives. I mean, they started a whole narrative against yeah. me that, you know, was portraying me as kind of uh, – you know, some kind of empire builder, or, you know, maneuverer or something like that, which is not me, I think, to anyone who who's practiced law with me over the last 25 years knows that that's not me. But, you know, they can paint these narratives. So you get the media, right? And there's a steady stream of that pouring into people's minds. Then you have, you know, the fact that the educational establishment, even going uh, now down to the elementary school level, has been taken over. Um, and you know that the academy from uh, college up to law school, they've also been co-opted. Uh, I had a law professor, actually, interestingly enough, Lou, he uh, had enough of a op good opinion of my mind that he recommended me to a very conservative judge who I clerked for on the Sixth Circuit, uh, Chief Judge Boggs. But, you know, he was one of the founders of Marxism come to the law, th this area of law called critical legal studies, which is closely related uh, and and to which critical uh, race studies is an outgrowth. And he was asked at one point, you know, you can't seriously be teaching your students, uh, you know, these Marxist legal perspectives and expect them to become Marxists. And the, and the answer that he gave was, no, I'm more realistic than that. I just expect to create more Democrat voters. Wow, that is that's quite something. Uh, it the indoctrination across all aspects of our society, whether it's public education, whether it's law schools, whether it's universities, uh, K through 12, the indoctrination, CRT, IED, uh, the, the list, ESG, uh, all of this nonsense rolls out. And what is fascinating to me, and it must have been as shocking to you in law, but to, shocking to me is to watch the number of CEOs and companies uh, and, their, uh, and their human resources departments, their HR departments, that they have become, uh, you know, versions uh, within the uh, HR departments have become sort of an SS uh, to the fascists who are running uh, these uh, uh, these companies, left-wing fascists, if you will, uh, Marxists, if you will. Uh, and we've watched a complete flip here in the last 20 years in corporate America. They are siding with the Marxist Dems, supporting them, driving them, indoctrinating their employees, and insisting on an outcome uh, that is anti-American, anti-Constitution, uh, uh, anti, uh, and globalist in every way, more aligned throughout the Trump administration. And I talked about this every, almost every day in those days. Corporate America and Wall Street are more aligned with the CCP than they are with the Trump administration for four years. Uh, yes. And, and it's really true. Yes. Uh, so, Lou, you're, you're right. There, there may be uh, there's an excellent essay by Richard Hananiah that it's possible you have seen about how the civil rights laws and the civil rights part of the Justice Department, which I identified for you as particularly problematic, um, essentially kind of they molded, um, you know, in their own image, the HR departments. And that was kind of, you know, a major change for corporate America. They're really deeply embedded in the culture at this point. Um, and, you know, it's very difficult to to root that out, even when there are big scale changes in the Supreme Court, you know, uh, trending against things like affirmative action and quotas and the like. 
um, and, you know, these diversity policies um, and that, you know, a restoration of the idea that people should be treated in a colorblind way because, you know, so many folks who've been trained in a totally different approach have been embedded inside corporate America, and that's the culture of their HR departments. And then in terms of the of the corporations, right, there are people who grow up inside uh, in, in that, and then they get kind of cross-promoted into other areas. So you see how that kind of carries the, uh, you know, uh, to my mind, fake equity uh, uh, bacillus or, or infection. But, um, you know, I also think it's coming externally. It's coming from the financial markets, right? So these things like the Great Reset that are coming to us from the World Economic Forum, they are, you know, tied into the large investment banks. And then the large investment banks have a lot of influence over law firms in America because they have, uh, you know, lots of very high paying transactional work that they can dole out or keep to themselves or send to other law firms that are willing to play ball with all the ESG stuff. And same thing with, uh, with the corporations themselves. And, you know, at a macro level, what's happening to the corporations in terms of their interactions and competition for capital uh, you know, with entities like, uh, you know, involving entities like BlackRock is the same thing we're seeing with, uh, you know, Australia, where it's like, well, you, or New Zealand, I forget which, of you won't be able to get financing for any cars other than electric cars, right? So, right. you know, that, that, that one financial tweak will start, you know, getting all kinds of people uh, jumping to the tune that they're calling. But I, I want to turn to your case and, and wrap up with the, uh, one of your opinions, if I may. But your case, tell us that things are going well, uh, and that their resolution is at hand or not. Well, I wish, Lou, that I could uh, give you a uh, happy story there. But no, the struggle continues. Uh, the January 6th committee is uh, still in session, as it were. I think, wasn't there a Will Rogers quotation about Every man's liberty is in jeopardy when the legislature's in session. Um, so, you know, and for that committee, it's certainly true. Uh, I think they're going to return to hearings in September or so they've said or signaled. Um, and I wouldn't count them out until, you know, the day before the new Congress is sworn in, even if the midterms uh, turn out well. So that's one front, right? They've raided my house and and still have my electronic devices. So, uh, you know, who knows how that process will will wind up. Um, and then, uh, you know, there were bar charges filed against me. And, you know, I think very deliberate efforts to uh, get that out in the in the press right before uh, there was a primetime, uh, the last primetime hearing uh, that was held in uh, uh, July of the um, January 6th committee. So it all seems like it's wired in together. It's uh, very costly, both in terms of time and stress and uh, and money. Um, and I'll contrast that for, you know, uh, with you uh, for something, right? This this Tim Tebow guy at the FBI who's just uh, left slash retired, magically, uh, he was referred by the IG for uh, Hatch Act violations investigation um, to the uh, Office of the Special Counsel, which is a different separate agency. Um, and he just immediately had pro bono representation by one of America's, uh, you know, significant law firms, Morrison and Forster. Uh, you know, Lou, I'll, I'll tell you, no major law firms knocked on my door to represent me against these scurrilous charges uh, after they were uh, launched, you know, starting really back in with New York Times anonymous leaks in January of, of 2021. So I'm shouldering, uh, you know, this burden uh, much more personally. Well, I'm I, I'm sorry to hear that, and I am I, I think most of America's gut sick at what we're witnessing. Uh, this this is uh, as we suggested at the outset far more than McCarthyism at work uh, across the across uh, our society. Uh, this is a, an a, an attack on the on the constitutional republic. Uh, the January Sixth Committee is in is itself McCarthyism uh, and uh, outrageous. Uh, and I want to turn to a man who said it's the the right pandering to outrage, which is sort of an interesting statement since outrage is the natural uh, reaction to uh, affronts against uh, decency and civility and our Constitution, which is what this party has been doing. 
I, I'd like to conclude here with your thoughts about Bill Barr. Uh, I believe that he may, in fact, be the man leading the cover-up of all of the iniquity at the Department of Justice and FBI, not merely complicit. Uh, he's had too large a role in too many parts, whether it be uh, bringing down a curtain of silence on the reporting of the New York Post uh, in uh, October of 2020. The, uh, he has uh, refused to intervene in an election when he knew that Vice, former Vice President Joe Biden was lying through his teeth in the second and final presidential debate of 2020 when he said uh, that it was Russian disinformation, his son's laptop, and he knew full well that that laptop contained uh, damaging and uh, incriminating evidence against him, uh, his son, and indeed his family. Uh, your thoughts about uh, William Barr? Well, first, I'll, I'll start with a comment recently that I think is generating your question about, uh, you know, the, it, it being, uh, you know, pandering to be criticizing, uh, you know, the DOJ and FBI over some recent events like the Mar-a-Lago raid. Uh, you know, I, I think that given the, that the whistleblowers have come forward to Senator Grassley and, and seeing what he has written as a result of that and the press releases he's issued, you know, I think if you're talking especially about the topic of whistleblowing, but I think even broader than that, you know, he is a uh, salt of the earth, uh, you know, senator from, uh, you know, the heartland of America who is incredibly trustworthy. And right. uh, I don't think that the uh, agents and others who might have come forward to be whistleblowers to him are telling tall tales. Um, we're going to have to wait and see, obviously. But I but I trust what he says about that. Uh, implicitly at this point, barring being uh, disproven. And I, I kind of suspect it's not going to be disproven. On your larger question about former Attorney General Barr, you know, I'll, I'll just answer in this way by noting uh, two particular anecdotes for you that you might have reported on. Um, but if not, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give them to you uh, for your future ruminations, which is, you know, one, that uh, last year, the U.S. attorney in Philadelphia, former Trump U.S. attorney in Philadelphia, William McSwain, came forward and said, look, he had a significant election uh, fraud irregularity case. He went to Barr and uh, asked to, to look at it and also to have a press conference about it. Um, and if you're from Philadelphia like I am, you, you know what President Trump said, I think, in the first presidential debate, that in the election sphere, nothing good comes out of uh, Philadelphia. I have personal experiences that my mom would tell me about. I also know about the so-called uh, La Nueva uh, Forma de Votar scandal in Philadelphia that um, happened in the 90s. So there's just there's a long history of election problems in Philadelphia, let's put it that way. And right. what uh, McSwain said was that he was told by Attorney General Barr not to investigate, um, not to have a press conference, and to turn over any information to the Democrat AG in Pennsylvania who had already pre-announced that President Trump was going to lose the presidential election. The second vignette in that regard is that recently the uh, White House liaison at the end of the Trump administration, Heidi, a woman named Heidi Stirrup, uh, testified, you know, sworn testimony, that she got a meeting with uh, former Attorney General Barr and his chief of staff, and that she was told basically that, you know, there were not going to be significant efforts to investigate the election because, uh, you know, A, criminal investigations take a long time, and B, uh, you know, it's for the states to do, or perhaps, you know, since it's of a piece, uh, another point that might have been relayed, although I don't remember this point from her declaration, uh, you know, is that it's for the Trump campaign to, to carry that forward. And, you know, I think in, in both instances, you know, if, if those stories happened as, you know, the tellers uh, told them or in one instance swore to them, Lou, you know, I, I just I, I don't understand. To my mind, if you ha you're having an election for the highest office under the Constitution of the United States, it is an uber federal responsibility to make sure that any election uh, to that office is as squeaky clean and is in compliance with the Constitution and the laws of the United States and of the governing states set by the state legislatures pursuant to the Constitution as possible. And to that end, I believe that there is an entire uh, uh, 
organization within the Justice Department devoted to the integrity of, of elections and the right to vote, uh, but apparently not in 2020. Uh, I, we always give our guests, uh, Jeffrey, the, the concluding uh, the concluding thoughts, the last word on the, on the podcast. Uh, and if you will, your concluding thoughts as we wrap up here and our, and our great thanks for giving us your time and your perspective and, and illuminating thoughts. Thank you very much, Lou. I, I just close with this. And from what I've seen about uh, uh, Agent Tebow or manager at the FBI Tebow, he uh, was also involved in working closely with Richard, uh, you know, Pilger or Pilger at the Justice Department who resigned in protest uh, over the 2020 election because he didn't want to look at it until after it was over. So it's interesting that that uh, official, um, you know, in the public integrity section at the Justice Department and Tebow were tied together. I think we're going to learn more about that in, in time. So I'll leave, leave your audience with that teaser. And then lastly, Lou, let me say it's been an honor. You are a broadcasting legend, and I grew up in big chunks of my life watching you, and so I'm honored to have been on your program. Well, thank you for those kind words. And, uh, Jeffrey, we appreciate your, everything you're doing for this nation. Uh, we wish you Godspeed and God uh, God protect uh, as you proceed with uh, January 6th. Uh, and it's a shame that you have to go through this, uh, a, a great public servant, uh, and the nation has to uh, abide it. Uh, we don't have to abide it, and it's time to fix it. Uh, it is much, in my opinion, past time. Thank you so much. Thank Jeffrey, you. We appreciate it. Thanks, everybody, for joining us today. We're fortunate to have public servants like Jeffrey Clark working for the nation and standing up for law and order in the face of the Marxist left who are trying to tear up our Constitution and all our government once stood for. Here tomorrow, our guest will be one of the country's foremost investigative journalists, Paul Sperry. He's also a reporter for Real Clear Investigations and media fellow at Stanford University's Hoover Institution. Please join us here tomorrow. Till then, God bless you, and may God bless America.